welcome to mini episode 98 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today. And story number five comes from the 19th of December 2020. And story number one comes from Kim. This takes place in Idaho. I was visiting cousins and aunts for a weekend. We had set up a small family picnic as the relatives hadn't met up in several years. If you don't know, Idaho is boring as fuck. Excuse the language. So having it at a park next to the local swimming pool was as exciting as it got. Before we gathered, it was my job to scout out the park for a good spot to set up the food fair and whatnot. I'd wandered around the park until I'd found a nice large swathe of dewy grass sitting under a few sprawling trees. Nice shade and next to the pool gate. Perfect. Happy with my decision, I returned to inform the family of my choice. Fast forward to midway through the picnic. The food had been doled out. Hugs and stories of catching up are happening. Tired from all the playing with little cousins, I snagged my book, which I usually carried around at this age, and went to go and tuck in under a tree. Just before I went to sit down, I noticed something odd. At the foot of the tree, there was a tiny heart in the grass. This isn't an ordinary heart. It looks like a tiny lawnmower had mown a perfect heart just there near everybody. At first I think it's a joke, so I called out to the known jokester in our family. Cuz, come here, did you make this? I figure he's going to come over, see it and laugh. He came over, turned pale, and it was a moment before he answered. No, I didn't. How could I? It looks like... A tiny moor did it. I kid you not. It was the same as what I thought. Now, my family is superstitious and religious. They take signs and miracles very seriously. I was still considering this a joke. So in vain, I asked several family members about it. No one knows how it came there, and we had been there the whole time without it appearing before now. Someone would have mentioned it otherwise. The matrons of my family, my grandmother and my sister came over. My great-aunt swore under her breath while my grandmother swore it was a blessing from God. A sign of love, since all the family were together again after so long. To me, it just gave me the chills. I'm going to say this once. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw caution to the wind and say that that sounds like some good folk stuff and it would give me chills too. For real. And I don't want to delve into that too much because I don't want to lose this entire recording and have my house go on fire. So just going to say it was the good folk and I mean that with all the respect in the world and we're going to move on to the next story. And story number two comes from Kate. And just as a content warning, this story deals with child loss. I lost my daughter at 17 weeks. Since then, myself and my mother have dreamt of my daughter and described the same characteristics. In October, it was Ruby's angelversary. Since then, there have been a lot of spooky occurrences going on. I dreamt of her the night before this happened. I have a frame that my ex-sister-in-law made for me. I went to bed, laid there for about an hour, and I dreamt, or actually heard, mummy around five seconds later and the bathroom door opened. The frame that I got in her memory swiveled on the shelf. 
The next thing, my partner, not Ruby's dad, came running into the bedroom saying five things flew off the shelf. He has seen a child-sized shadow in the living room. I went back to sleep eventually and again I dreamt of her. My partner woke the next morning telling me of a dream that he had had. I was listening and brushing my child's hair when her candle flew off the shelf and Ruby Tuesday came on his playlist. My partner isn't connected with Ruby's life at all. He saw her and described what me and my mother have seen without knowing how I've seen her. I truly believe my baby girl is checking in and acknowledging that her mama is happy. I bought a cladder ring for my Irish granny and every night it gets cold and something scary happens. I know my granny is holding Ruby until I can. That story is lovely. I know it it's, must be such a terrible thing to lose a child. I've never experienced it myself, but I, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to lose a child. I am so glad that you feel some sense of comfort from these happenings and that it is Ruby's way of letting you know that she's okay and that she's acknowledging that you're okay. And story number three comes from Ian. How would I describe my dad? A man's man. He takes no shit. You get my drift. So when he tells you his ghost stories, you listen. When my dad was little, he spent a lot of time at his nan's, who lived in the north end of the fishing town Lowstoft. She lived in a typical fisherman's terrace house with a small backyard, a large front room that all the other ground floor rooms came off. The only thing with this house was that it overlooked the memorial of the witches of Lowstoft. A large stone marked where the innocent women were killed by the witchfinder general. My dad, whenever he was in the house, used to feel very uncomfortable, and this feeling increased the older that he got. When he was 12, he was sleeping at his nan's. He woke up and went downstairs to get a drink and just by the off chance looked out of the front room window. The view was of the park, tall trees and flower gardens. He saw a dark figure. This creature must have felt my dad staring at him because it stared right back at him. My dad said it felt like he was stuck with fear for hours. And it was hours. He was only snapped out of his trance when his nan came downstairs in the morning. And this was when his gift started. From that day, my dad experienced paranormal activity at his nan's house, from shadow figures, doors opening and noises. It got to the point that his nan stopped him from coming around. Activity continued all through his teenage years, but when he got into his mid-twenties, things changed. He started seeing and interacting with ghosts. My dad was a keen fisherman. He used to spend hours on the beach with his cousin trying to catch North Sea cod. One night in mid-October at around 11pm, they decided to call it a night. They packed up their gear and started to walk up the cliffs. It was a good two miles to walk and it was easier walking on the cliff than stomping in the energy-draining sand. It was a clear night, with the light of the moon reflecting off the calm sea. After about 100 yards walking along the cliff, my dad and his cousin saw a lady looking out to sea. A young lady in her mid-twenties, long brown hair in a light blue dress. 
Dad was a little confused by her appearance as the dress was very outdated. He was a bit trendy in the 70s. His cousin said to him, what should we do? And my dad said, let's bloody speak to her, she's obviously lost or something. He asked her if she was okay and she asked if he had seen any boats coming to shore. He told her that he hadn't and she said that her boyfriend was out fishing and he should have returned by now. He said, sorry love, but no one is out there. Go home and call the Coast Guard. The woman looked puzzled. I will stay and wait. And then she said that she would call the Coast Guard when she got home. My dad walked off, not thinking twice about the conversation with the lady. After a couple of steps, he looked around. The lady was gone. His cousin had not moved and he looked petrified. My dad panicked and thought the lady had jumped over the cliff, but his cousin looked at him and said, No, she just disappeared. The lady had vanished in front of my dad's cousin's eyes. He said she turned and looked at him and faded away. It was only when he told my granddad that he realised who the lady was. In 1840, a young lady called Mary killed herself by jumping off the cliff. Her boyfriend never returned from a fishing trip and she just couldn't live without him. When I hit my 30s, everything changed when he told me that he saw a demon in a window of an old hotel in his hometown. I couldn't process this and questioned my belief and my trust in my dad's stories. I was quite happy putting all of our experience down to the stone tape theory. Now I'm thinking my dad may have seen many different types of ghosts since my recent experiences. I live in a five-year-old, three-storey attached house in Norwich. No history, no dark past. It's just a house. During lockdown, my neighbour shouted over my garden fence asking for advice. She knows I am interested in the supernatural and often we discuss photos I post on my Instagram account. She told me she was a bit spooked. She was doing a yoga session when she was in a pose. She felt a sharp scratch on her foot. She stopped her yoga to check her foot. A deep scratch had appeared on her left foot. It was in the shape of an M. She thought it was in the shape of a heart, but it didn't join. I did have a look at the scratch, and I was shocked to see it. It was so deep. She said she was nowhere near anything that would scratch her. It completely spooked us out, but nothing else happened for months. Then lockdown was relaxed, and I was returning to work as a teacher at the local high school. One evening I was in my lounge and my door was open so I could see out to the hallway. I usually have this door open so I can hear my three-year-old if she wakes. I heard footsteps in the hall and instantly looked up. I was expecting to see my daughter, but instead I saw a black figure walk into my kitchen. I jumped up, ready to dropkick this stranger out of my house and rushed into the kitchen, but there was nobody. It was still light outside. There were no shadows or headlights from passing cars. I kind of brushed it off as logically this house could not be haunted. A couple of days passed and I was in bed. Again, my bedroom door was slightly open. My daughter usually wakes up at night and comes into bed. I was reading my book when out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone walk up my stairs and onto the landing. I waited and this person walked past my door. It was just a black, solid figure. Again, I got up and went to see who or what this was, and there was nothing. So I went into my daughter's room and slept on her sofa bed that night. 
It wasn't until the summer holidays that it came back. I was again in bed reading when I noticed my phone lit up. Expecting to see a text or a notification, I was shocked to see the passcode screen and somebody touching the numbers. I watched as my six-digit passcode was pressed and my phone opened. Then the picture icon was pressed and for the next 20 seconds, someone or something was flicking through my photos. Yes, it could have been somebody hacking into my phone, but the make of the phone is really difficult for this to happen. I was in shock and turned my phone off. A couple of days passed and I was in bed again, listening to your podcast. Emma's voice was reading out a story when over her voice, I heard another voice say, Hurry! Again, I was completely spooked and automatically re-listened to that part of the podcast and there was nothing. Now I was getting really concerned. Yes, I've been under a lot of stress, but I feel okay. I tried to logically debunk everything, but I couldn't. And then it disappeared. Until last week. This time I was fast asleep. I'm a light sleeper and will wake up if I hear any type of noise. I was sleeping on my side facing a wall. I felt a hand on my shoulder and the pressure of a pull like someone was trying to turn me over. I resisted. Even as I was coming to, I knew this was not my daughter because it was an adult's hand. The pressure released. I still laid facing the wall, now awake but with my eyes shut. My heart was pounding and then I slowly felt a hand grab my shoulder again and pull me with force. I resisted, and it was like it gave up. I then thought, what if it was my daughter? I turned over to face the bedroom door. I slowly opened one eye. There was nobody at all in my room. My door was how I left it when I went to bed. No way would my daughter come in and then close my door at the same angle. So I started to fall asleep again, this time facing the door. I just couldn't fall asleep and was battling with my brain and the thoughts of who it was when a hand slapped onto my shoulder and took a fistful of duvet and started to pull it off me. I had enough at that point and said, go away, I need my sleep, and the duvet just dropped. I opened my eyes and no one was there. So this is my experience and I don't think it has ended. Sorry for the blunt end, but I can't explain any of these. Maybe I need to call Zach but I hear he's too busy buying Dracula's castle. We all seem to predominantly talk about gifts being passed from mother to daughter or from grandmother to granddaughter, but it seems in this case that the gift has passed from father to son. And whatever the dad saw that was standing in the park seems to be quite, quite scary. And also whatever you saw in your, like, I don't want to be, I hate doing this and like compounding people's fears and being like, hey, you should be really scared, but I would be really scared. For real. Most definitely. And that reference at the end to Zach buying Dracula's castle, that's Zach Bagans who was talking about buying Count Dracula's castle and he ended up buying a replica from a movie, I think. Uh, Just in case anyone was like, what are they talking about? But really interesting, I loved the story of the girl on the cliff, of of his dad seeing the girl on the cliff. Those kind of almost legends of particular areas that that then people experience, I just think they're amazing. It's like Phantom Hitchhikers, Woman in White, that those kind of stories are incredible. And story number four comes from Daniel. This is something that happened to my mother. 
To give some background, my mom has always had some level of sensitivity and has dabbled in spiritual practices in the past. I was roughly three or four years old when my baby sister was born. She had a very rare condition that affected her ability to breathe and eat on her own and she suffered from multiple seizures a day, which was torture for my parents and I to have to watch. She passed away shortly after her first birthday. Needless to say, this took a huge toll on my parents. When I was a few years older, I woke up one day to see my mom sitting in the living room with a pensive look on her face. It was unusual to see her up so early, because I was usually up at least an hour or two before my mom or dad would get out of bed. I sat down with her, and she told me the story of a little girl she was friends with when she was a kid. When my mom was about 13 or 14, her friend attempted suicide by poisoning herself. She decided afterwards that she wanted to live, but it was too late and she was beyond saving. She told me about her to preface a dream she had had the night before, which was why she was awake so early that morning. In her dream, we were having a birthday party for my baby sister. Cake, presents and family and friends gathered to celebrate. Out of nowhere, the girl from my mother's childhood showed up to the party completely irate and throwing the gifts against the walls, screaming, This is my party and these are my gifts. At this point, my mom woke up and felt a sense of understanding. It became apparent to her that perhaps my baby sister may very well have been her old childhood friend revisiting her, just needing to be cared for and loved for a short period of time before returning to the afterlife. I realise how out there this concept is, but my mom is convinced. Again, I, I really think... When it comes to loss and tragic loss and sudden loss and loss where people are taken away far too soon. For a lot of people, they take comfort in various things. And if if, if your mum takes comfort from the fact that this is her old friend come back to visit for a short period of time, then then that's fine. That's it doesn't matter how out there it is. If it brings comfort to your mum, that's what matters. And you're Dreams are, I think, a way for your brain to understand things that are happening in your world. So if that's what makes her happy, then so be it. And story number five comes from Carol. I'm a psychiatric nurse and have been working as a qualified nurse for around 20 years now. I used to work in an old asylum-type hospital on the south coast of England that was built sometime around the turn of the 1900s. I was assigned to a general admissions type ward, initially assessing adults who had generally been detained under the Mental Health Act. On one shift we had a particularly unwell gentleman, admitted, who was being violent towards staff and other patients, so for his own safety we needed to medicate him and then move him to another ward where he could be nursed in a low stimulus environment. Obviously he politely refused the medication that I offered him so we had to get a team of people down to the ward and restrain him, so I could give him an injection to enable us to safely move him. I went to the clinic room to draw up the medication, and I have to say my heart was racing, as it was always a really stressful time when we had to restrain people, and you never knew how it was going to go. As a side note, the clinic room used to be cleaner's cupboard, so it was tiny. So I did what I had to do, and as I came out of the clinic room, tray in hand with all the equipment I needed to do what I had to do, and I turned and I smacked right into somebody, dropping my tray. I immediately apologised and hurriedly picked everything up. But there was nobody there. 
I had too much adrenaline pumping through me to really comprehend the situation and scurried down to deal with my unwell chap. I gave him his sedative injection and then afterwards had to take his vital signs to make sure that he was physically okay. He looked me straight in the eyes and said, She didn't manage to stop it then. Well, at least she tried. I felt my blood run cold and it was one of those moments where my legs were totally independent of the rest of my body. I stumbled up the corridor and back to the clinic room for about five minutes and just sat on the floor trying to compose myself and trying not to throw up. I've never told any of my colleagues mainly because there were so many ghost stories floating around and most people just dismissed them and I didn't want to just be dismissed as another story. Nothing else happened to me in that hospital until about a year before I left and was posted to another one of the old original wards, which was upstairs. The sluice room, where the washing machines, clean linen, etc. were kept, was across the landing, so I had to unlock the big old oak door to exit the ward and open another big old door on the other side of the landing into a corridor. I could not go down there. It felt like there was something terrible down there, something that didn't want me to go down there. It made me feel sick to my stomach. Interestingly, no one else had a problem with going down there. As the nurse in charge most of my shifts, I sent other members of staff down there if something was needed. Apart from one night shift when my colleague was on a break and we had an admission and I needed clean bedding. I honestly thought my heart was going to stop. I've never moved so fast in my life and I've never ever ever been so scared. Those environments are just so terrifying and I totally understand the adrenaline of needing to sedate somebody or needing to restrain somebody for their own safety like it's a pretty charged environment for loads of different reasons but walking walking into walking into somebody and I mean that's mad it reminds me of I can't remember what episode it was, but way back in the beginning when we talked about theatre ghosts and my friend Cass told her a story about how she was shutting down the theatre and she physically walked into somebody and was like, oh, sorry, didn't see you there. And then there was nobody there. That's so scary. Because what did you, what did you walk into? And then to have the patient say, I, she tried to stop you, but she didn't. Oh, no, I hate it. Thank you so much to Kim, Kate, Ian, Daniel and Carl for your stories and just a reminder that the last story is from the 19th of December 2020. If you would like to send your story in you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and on that note I shall see you next time. <laughs>